I, I thought that we were making a movie mostly about identity. And then in the process, I realized that we were making a movie about motherhood. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Pablo Lorraine's new biographical drama, Spencer. Set years after the fairy tale wedding of Princess Diana and Prince Charles, when the bliss has grown cold and rumors of affairs abound, the film picks up the true story on one Christmas holiday, as Diana wrestles with the pivotal decision of whether or not to leave. In addition to Spencer, Mr. Lorraine's directorial credits include the feature films Emma, Jackie, Neruda, and The Club, episodes of the miniseries Lysi's Story, and episodes of the television series Homemade. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Mr. Lorraine spoke with fellow director Rebecca Miller about filming Spencer. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. So... Pablo, tell me, um, I'm so curious about the, where should we begin? The process of, uh, first of all, deciding this was a subject that you were interested in. What, how did that happen? Um, well, it's my mother, probably the first uh, approach to Diana. So as I grew up, my mother was uh, very into her. And then when she died in 1997, my mom was really sad and I thought it was quite weird, you know, like I, I, my mom and I lived in, in Santiago in Chile, so it's kind of far. And then I realized that my mom was one person among millions around the world. I grew up very curious and I sort of felt that there was a huge mystery around that woman. Um, and then I did Jackie before, um, so it was like an interesting continuation to that movie. And that's pretty much, I, yeah. I just, I'm fascinated by, by her and her character. And, and, and I think it's, it's a very interesting idea for cinema because it's very mysterious. You don't know, like, I did a, a very extensive research and I just, you know, shot this movie and, and I have no idea who she was, you know, and, and that is good for, for film, for, for what I think it's interesting in cinema. You mean that you did a lot of research of what actually, you know, think little stories and things that happened in, in reality. Yeah. So what, what actually motivated her? What actually, how was she in private? Yeah. What, what was her life inside of that house? What could have happened? Right. And there's a lot of information, but ultimately you, you face a void. There's nothing there really. I mean, there's a lot of information, but it's, it's not only very contri contri contradictory, like it's things that are opposite, uh, but mostly they don't, they're not things that could help you to capture anyone. So I assume that, that from the very beginning, we were making an approach from fiction and fiction only, which, uh -huh. which is helpful at some point. Right. Did you feel any responsibility to the people who are alive and who are being presented in certain ways? Yeah, of course. What, what, what happens is that 
there's something in, in the royal structure as institution and, and the idea that they're like trapped in history and tradition and they're repeating roles over hundreds of years that once, once you, you, you put that in front of you or in script or you put, you know, you just stage it, it could be funny because it's some certain things can become so absurd. Yeah. And there was a big temptation to, you know, be a little bit satirical. And I avoided that. I, I, I stepped back from that. It would even sometimes I, I felt that it would, you know, it could be funny. Yeah. I, I avoided that. And we just stayed with her and inside of her perspective. Right. As much as we could. And then also I, I don't know what, what also happens that I think this movie is about motherhood as well. And, and I care a lot about the representation of those kids. Yeah. And, you know, whatever their life that they have, whatever we can think about, I think they have a, they have a lot, a lot of, it's been a very painful story for, for them, I'm sure, losing their mother like this and, and how it was. So I wanted to, look, you know, just be very human and, and kind of sensitive to, yeah. to their reality. Yeah, it's a lovely scene with the three of them in the, at night before yeah. Christmas Day. Um, and what about how you, the process of working with your writer? You worked with with a writer on this. Yes, uh, of uh, course. Yeah, and and so what was that process like in terms of uh, just was it a back and forth? Did he write a script and then y you came back with your notes, or how did that work? He's a very particular person, extremely brilliant, and and um, I had two meetings with him um, in person, and then one phone call. We agreed on a general scope. Um, looking for the time that she decided to leave the family, very compressed, early 90s. On her perspective, she should be in every scene or on, almost in all of them. And they're very internal. And then, I don't know, four months after he came up with a draft that then had a very few changes until we, we actually filmed it. And I had two scenes. One is the one that you were referring, the candlelit uh, sort of the army game. And then the dancing montage that it's uh, at the end of day two out of the three days. I I don't know. It was odd. I'm usually closer and more into it. Yeah. But he works like that. He's he goes into and and he does his own research. Talk to people that actually worked in the house and those days and meet her, and work with and for her. And then he delivered this script that I I really loved from the very beginning. So I had just 13 things and certain adjustments that I did. So I, I just basically wrote a very long email with the things that I would like to do. Mm -hmm. And he did most of them. And that was my process with him. And I then saw him again when he saw the movie. And we did a Q&A in London <laughs> a week ago. And and the idea of using Anne Boleyn, was that something that uh, that just came from his idea? Or was it something that you thought of from an early stage? No, it, it came from him. Uh -huh. And... and all I asked, one, one of my notes was to clarify who she was for people that maybe is not aware of, of her. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was very interesting. There's actually a moment in, in, in the movie on the, the pearl soup scene at the beginning. So we put the camera towards the queen and then we, we swapped the actresses and then Anne Boleyn came in. And it's incredible what cinema can do. It's a 500 years jump in between one person and the other one. They both 
queens of England, it's just in different periods and different contexts. Yeah. And they were sitting in the same chair. Amazing. In one, in it, we didn't move the camera. You know, it was just, thank you, and then can you please sit here? And, 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 and then I understood a lot that we were, so I kind of, also going back to the idea of portraying real people, is that everyone in that family is in the same trap. There's people that's born to privilege, that has a lot of access to many things, but at the same time, they have a very difficult role to accomplish and they have to do something that others have done already and you can't really change anything. And, and we call them protocols, right? but in reality, it's just the weight of history. And, and that is a hard place to be in. Yeah, uh, it was interesting the way it was said about the present and the past and there's no future tense. That's very interesting, Yeah, I thought. Um, did you, as a filmmaker, do you believe that you were utterly on her side and sympathetic and uncritical as a, as a character, the character that you developed? Well, yeah, it's it's a very good question because uh, it's easy to fall in in the over admiration and 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 passion and compassion can be mixed and confused. So I tried as much as I could. There's from that that scene, from the pearl soup scene and on. I think the movie stays inside of her, mm-hmm. but we're obviously looking at her. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like she she's holding a mirror, so we see the world through through her through that reflection. Um, but it requires a certain distance uh, to to more than be critical, but to show her f- her fragility in a way that feels honest. And um, I maybe because my distance that I'm not English or British, and I could just get in and and focus on what I think is interesting. And I, I, I was called, it's funny, uh, in England, an outsider, of course. You know, I'm happy to be an outsider. And, mm-hmm. and But I'm not, I don't think I'm an outsider to her story. Mm-hmm. I think whatever happens to her and my motivations to make the movie and the way that I sort of, um, I think I sort of directed the situation and her, was to something as simple as possible. And I try to minimize my instructions to her, actually. Mm-hmm. It was an exercise that was very interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your process of working with um, Kristen, Kristen, who's so wonderful in the film, and uh, what that was like. And so you were just saying that you were minimizing your instructions. Well, it, I think it's it, one trap that... W- all the rest directors can fall into is to uh, thinking that you always need to be saying something to the actors and they require a constant guidance and indications. And, and I don't think it's like that. I think when, when there's an actor and I've seen it before uh, that it's so into it and they can able to capture the character so well, there's a point in production that I just, my best thing to do is silence. Yeah. yeah. And just to, create confidence that this is fine and, and, and just more into the choreography and then, and then speed. That's something that I don't think we talked a lot and, and maybe no one cares, uh, but I care a lot. And I think it's essential for our work is the rhythm of things and how can you sort of understand that speed, it's something that is essential to the rhythm of a movie and ultimately to the result of the operation of a movie. 
Uh, but going back to Christian, so just yeah, no, just to yeah, stay yeah. with this for a second, just to be clear, yeah. you're talking about uh, sort of conducting and within a within a scene and 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 creating pacing within a scene. Yeah, pacing. That's the right yeah? word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and how fast or slow things happened. It's a mystery that I see in filmmakers that I admire. And I'm, I have seen, sometimes I see movies in silence just to see that. With like I mute the volume just to see that. When I study a film that I really, really care, I do that. And I, and I think there's, a, there's something, there's a reason why it's called motion picture, right? And there's something in the motion that, that I, I believe is very relevant. And, and that will usually help me to understand if the, the camera needs to be moved or not. And where are we? And so, and of course, you know, this movie had a, a interesting budget for what we did, but, but it was, the schedule was a hell, a disaster because you go for locations, right? As we all do, I guess. Yeah. Only some filmmakers that I know can actually have a production that's chronological on the script, which is a huge luxury. So I don't know, every day was really, really crazy it was yeah. like scene 17 and 79 and then 102 <laughs> and then the next day is whatever yeah so i had a map of speeds um and pacing that really helped me to understand where we were and i really stick to that map i had it like physically uh, on, on on paper i had it on a wall first and then i put it on a on, a, on paper and that that's where i sort of get into and then once Kristen was really into it so I had time and, and sort of had to work with the other actors that were coming in, some of them right. really shortly, briefly, and and, and the yeah. kids as well. The kids, you know, they're demanding. and Yeah, the kids are, especially Char Charles is so, is or not Charles, um, William is so moving, I think. Yeah, they, they were with us all the time because of COVID. They mm -hmm. couldn't go home. Uh huh. So they would show up anyway to the set. Yeah. And it's Pablo, can I stay? Sure. And yeah, he was seated with me. One thing I wanted to talk to you about um, is uh, genre and a sort of. I mean, what what would you say the the principal genre that you're working in is, if there is a genre that you're working in? Well, I I um I have tried to explain that in in some press that we've been doing these days, and it's very hard. Because I, I don't, I, it's, it's put the movie in a box. It's very, it's, it's hard. I understand that it's needed so we can all understand what we're discussing. Well, I mean, I personally, I never, I tend to move around in genres within a movie and I understand that completely. But, but yeah, I could say curious. there's a gothic melodrama. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. If, if there's, but, but it's a, it's a mix of, 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 of tones, I think. Yeah. Once she sees something that is not real, and the audience understand that we are with her and then everything that happens then becomes a part of her psychological panic and that terror eventually is healed. But you need to, what we did is in, in the editing mostly, we sort of understood that and create a lot of pressure over the character and minimize the amount of screen time as we got closer to the park house scene before the dancing montage. And then with Johnny's music, we switch slowly from the Baroque ensemble, which is a, the, the orchestration, into the jazz that became more and more sort of stressful um, to create a lot of pressure in the character until she unleashes and dances 
and then we go to the beat scene and and the result of, of the movie right as a mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. an operation but mm-hmm. uh yeah um so your work with Johnny Greenwood did you find yourself with a back and forth with his, as his music arrived to be recutting it all for or were you like giving him a cut did you have any kind of temp score how did you work because it seems that there's quite it's very connected to the music um so I'm just curious about the connect you know how that evolved yeah of course well he we talked once on over Zoom, and then everything else was the, done uh, by email. Mm-hmm. And I would, I'm I'm very slow writing in English, so I would like send uh, voice messages. <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing, but it worked. And and he r- writes really well, by the way, and very long emails, very ex- like explains what he's doing. Mm. So we had that interaction for a while, and but most of music was sent before we actually start shooting. Mm-hmm. And then during the first two or three weeks, another big batch came in mm-hmm. um, and I would play it on the set. Um, That's interesting. So he wrote it before you. That's very unusual. I mean, generally to have and the then some adjustments were made after, but yeah, most of it was, yeah, was made yeah. before or, but he was blind. If that's the thing, he didn't get to see uh, scenes uh, up until we're in the middle halfway through of, right. the, of production. So the decision to use jazz, that was something that you, was that coming from you? It, no, was from that, him. He, he was sort of had a thought. He had the idea of using uh, a Baroque ensemble. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he came up with the idea of using some sort of free jazz. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And he's, but he combined music that is, is from like, let's say Bach or Haydn mm-hmm. with uh, an ensemble that would come from Charles Mingus. Yeah. Or Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. And they put him into the into the same organization, and it was very helpful because when we later when the, when we cut the movie, then we left the baroque music for the family, and when 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 everyone else was there, mm-hmm. and then left the jazz just for her. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you don't really notice, I think, but but it's a very articulated idea. Mm-hmm. And then we we exploded, and and eventually there's a point that there's just jazz in, in the film. Mm-hmm. There's yes. no there are more, no more or other arrangements, but uh, but it's wonderful. It's look, it's it's uh, he's someone that is is the kind of artist that I admire because no one else could do that music. Maybe others could do something great as well. I don't know, but yeah. that sound, that music, only belongs to his writing and his sort of head and and, mm-hmm. and his work and it's, it's beautiful so i guess anybody watching this movie is thinking did that happen did that happen? <laughs> there's what did you feel that there was ever do you think that it's within the realm of reason that she was really having a nervous a complete nervous breakdown in the way that you seem to be indicating that she's starting to see things and things like that and impossible to know that and, right. and impossible so, to know uh when it happened and how it happened, we know things that she said. Um, we know things related to um, her mental health and related to her eating disorder. And we also know that an eating disorder is never just an eating disorder. It has a, it's a cause. It's a, it's a consequence. And yeah, we just probably, that's what it is. That's what we know. Yeah. And, and we worked that psychology um, trying to understand that she was inhabiting this elegant prison that she needed to walk out from. So 
is it fair to, uh, I guess you've spoken about beautifully about your mother in regards to this and how that makes it personal for you. But is it fair to say that I suppose every work of art is somehow a self-portrait, even if it's not something that you personally wrote, but that somehow it becomes that. And how do you, do you see this as some, in some way as deeply reflective of yourself? I, I thought that we were making a movie mostly about identity. And then in the process, I realized that we were making a movie about motherhood. Those kids had the same age that I have mostly. Maybe I'm a little bit older, but I saw myself in them. <clears throat> Maybe not only we were shooting, but, we, but, but they were coming to the set just to hang around most days. And I saw myself in, 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 in them and, and I understood that. And then I kind of closed the circle with my own mother, right? That they were really people that loved their mother and their mother was very protective to them. And, and that's pretty much my, my door um, and the way that I entered the story where through those kids and, mm -hmm. and, and how we can all understand each other with our own memory about our own mothers, you know, and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think Diana was a lot of things, but she was a, mostly a mother, especially in that period of the time she needed to protect them. And she understood, I think through them that she didn't need to stay there, that she could just stand up and walk out that door and be herself and eventually find her own identity for what's coming next. We know what actually happened next, but yeah. but she lived a, a, a few years after that. Mm -hmm. And she understood that she was loved, which is uh, it's a beautiful thing that we might think that looking back, like obviously someone like her felt that love all the time, but no, look, maybe maybe she felt lonely and, and, and isolated and, and different. And, yeah. Yeah. I guess since one last question, which is since we're in the director's guild, did you find using Steadicam very freeing given, like you were saying, it was a hellish schedule and very, you know, pretty limited. Uh, Steadicam? Yeah. We, yeah. Well, it's like, you know, it's a good story. I, I have discovered that I, I'm not very good to planning certain shots so precisely. Sometimes I don't like marks. I don't think it's great unless it's a very specific thing. So I let the actors free, and when there's a steady cam, you need you need to someone to really understand what you're doing. And I have a I have had some difficulty with certain operators, maybe because of my English. When you know you know you're on a take, as you're filming, and you sometimes need to make a correction. You say something really low, and he needs to understand it really well. So basically, I I invited a Chilean uh, guy that I've made movies in and at home, so he came over. And it's someone who doesn't even speak English, just Spanish. So he had the camera. And it's a very little guy, tiny, tiny, very skinny. And, and he was, had this uh, big 35 mil camera sometimes. Sometimes it was 16. We combined both formats. And I had the, and as I was talking to him in Spanish, but it, it, we speak Chilean, which is Spanish is very odd. as a very thick accent. So no one would understand anything and no one would be distracted. So it's like a parallel secret and, and, and we pulled it off together while he operated, but it was a fantastic thing to have a guy that was very focused, very into it. It was a big challenge for him. It was a big step in his career. And at the same time, um, we communicated really, really well. And that was a good thing. Yeah. That's great. That sounds like fun. Okay. We're okay.
great. Um, Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 